Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. I'm really excited about our guest and topic today. Antoine Valentone is the Vice President of Customer Success for Teamable Software, and we're going to be talking about the future of customer success and the trends that are driving shifts in our field. Antoine, welcome to Strike Deck Radio. Hi, Kristen. Thanks, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about my favorite subject with you today. Well, I always think it's interesting to hear about different leaders' paths into customer success. Would you be willing to share your career journey with the audience just to get started? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career as an individual contributor, uh, as a renewal manager, uh, living in the last 90 to 120 days of a customer life cycle. Okay. Uh, but this was back on the uh, on-premise solution days before SaaS. And I was fairly successful just based on the nature of on-premise solutions. They're a bit stickier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then as time went on and I moved on to uh, SaaS solutions, I found that I wasn't as successful as I was uh renewing my customers. And a lot of times it was, I found, because of something that happened uh, previous uh, to me getting involved in the customer life cycle, uh, meaning it could have been a deployment that didn't go well. Uh, maybe they had a poor experience with the customer success manager or maybe bad tech support prior to related issues. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty frustrating for me being measured and comped on renewals when, in fact, uh, the account was lost before I got involved. So what I did is I made it my career goal to work backwards in the customer lifecycle uh, to try either through influence or direct ownership, uh, have more sort of control over what actually leads to renewals and growth. And uh, Again, that could be the professional services experience uh, during deployment. Uh, it could even uh, go as far back as what happened during the sales cycle. Yeah. Um, did the sales rep promise something maybe that didn't exist, um, which we know does happen from time to time. <laughs> oh, occasionally. <laughs> so that puts uh, customer success at its heels. So uh, I own all of that now at, uh, at Showpad and uh, now at Teamable. And uh, I even did spend some time owning both sales and customer success, which was sort of like the final frontier for me. That's exciting. That that was my experience uh, when I was at Vertical Response as well. I had uh, the support team, the sales team, the partner team, and the customer success team. And it was really interesting mm-hmm. to lead all of those groups together and create kind of a holistic 
customer experience. So it's neat to hear that you've come from that same place. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Teamable Software and your team. Can you give us a little bit of background on your group? Yeah, so just a snapshot of what Teamable is. It's actually very, very cool. Uh, what Teamable does is it leverages your employees' uh, social and professional networks uh -huh. to bubble up passive candidates that might be uh, a good fit for open requisitions that you might have. And the, the, the thought is that they'll be more open to responding to an inquiry by a recruiter if it's uh, coming from somebody that they know uh, versus a complete stranger. Okay. So uh, here at Teamable, I inherited a, a small team of sort of generalists in customer success doing a little bit of everything. Okay. I uh, had the same uh, experience at, at Showpad when I joined there. They were similar size. And uh, what I do is I uh, structure uh, a team of specialists as opposed to generalists focused on three key areas. First is professional services, again, dedicated to employing customers. Uh, second is uh, customer success managers, again, that'll drive adoption and utilization. And then a tech support team. And the spirit of the model is that, uh, again, I do my best to ensure that they all work together in harmony to create the most optimal experience uh, for customers. So at Showpad, you know, when I started there, it was three people I inherited, took that team to about 50 globally under that structure. Cool. So just getting that going here, and it's been well received so far. That's great. Um, I, I love it. I, I like hearing how people have their team structured. I know the audience, um, when I've gotten feedback before, always loves to hear how different people have their teams set up. So I appreciate you sharing uh, how you've got the group structured. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the future of customer success from your perspective and a little bit maybe of my perspective. Um, but before we get started, let's talk about why that's important. So why do you think that it's a good idea for CSMs and CS leaders to consider the future of customer success? when that's not always directly relevant to the busy lives of those professionals? Sure. Uh, so I think it's uh, the difference, I think, between the truly successful organizations and maybe the ones that uh, struggle with some of the uh, challenges they face is staying ahead of the curve mm -hmm. and the difference between being proactive versus reactive. So, you know, again, you, you hear the term firefighters or being in firefighter mode. Yeah. Certainly there's value to reacting to customer inquiries and being there when the phone rings. Uh, but I think, again, the truly successful organizations build a success team that doesn't sit around and wait for the phone to ring. They're going to be on their toes, proactively reaching out to customers, initiating value-added conversations. So really, it's just a matter of survival and having that awareness that, again, being reactive isn't enough. And hence, really, I think the term customer success um, you know, before customer success, it was customer service. And again, I think that, again, is very clearly reactive uh, sort of behavior, right? But customer success to me is, yes, reactive, but then also proactive as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck with the reactive work as a customer success person. Um, there will always be some of that. But the proactive part is where the value really comes in. And I love the parallel that you draw between the work of the CSMs who are on the front lines and how leaders can be thinking about being proactive as a department and thinking ahead about how to be, um, you know, how to shift as there are shifts in the environment that that we're all working in and how customer success is going to change as we move forward. So I, I really like the parallel you drew there. 
uh, one of the things we talked about as we were exploring this topic was a shift in the buying experience. Can you give us your perspective on the trends that you see driving that shift? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. This is one of those moments that you're just referring to as far as like there's been a shift uh, and in buyer behavior uh, and what consumers expect. And I think it's being driven by five things that I'll summarize quickly here for you. Number one is thanks to the Internet, we are living in what's known as the educated buyer uh, sort of era where there's an abundance of information available at all times uh, on the Internet and uh, consumers can educate themselves now uh, more than ever before. Uh, that wasn't always the case. Not long ago, a sales rep was sort of uh, that resource that a consumer would have to interact with to get information about a product or solution. No longer the case. So uh, CEB, for example, did some research uh, recently, and it showed that consumers are about 57% of the way along the decision-making process before they ever interact with a vendor. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, that means, again, they're coming to the table very well-educated, uh, whereas that wasn't the case before. Uh, and that creates challenge for sales reps uh, who maybe at this point don't even know as much as the customer does. In many cases, the customer knows more. And uh, that, is, that creates a frustrating experience for the buyer. Yeah. So that's number one, educated buyers. Uh, number two, again, citing research by CEB, uh, there's on average 6.8 uh, decision makers involved in a buying decision uh, for a capital expense. For example, enterprise solution might be more than that. Uh, maybe in the smaller SMB, it might be less. But on average, 6.8 personas. So think about the complexity that that creates. Uh, where you're having to speak to a vice president of sales, maybe versus a VP of marketing, maybe a CTO, all very unique personas that have different interests and you cannot use a one size fits all approach. You'll have to tailor something specific to them. Mm -hmm. So that's number two, multiple stakeholders. And that number has gone up, by the way. Uh, CEB's initial research showed it was like 5.4 on average stakeholders. So the number is increasing in just a short amount of time between like two years Number three, and, and uh, this is for most humans, we just have a short attention span. So Microsoft <laughs> did uh, research not long ago where they um, measured the average attention span of your average human was only eight seconds. And that was compared to uh, your average goldfish who actually hold their attention for one second longer, nine seconds. So <laughs> we're falling short when it comes to our ability to hold our attention when it com compared to... Um, the goldfish. And why is that? Well, the reality is that, you know, thanks to our cell phones, again, in the internet, you know, we're constantly being inundated with uh, text and tweets and buzzing and calls and emails. You know, it could be even your favorite game of Candy Crush. You know, that, again, is a distraction. And uh, it has reduced our ability to hold our attention for very long. So that's number three. Uh, number four is, in general, again, humans are just risk averse. Nobody wants to uh, experience pain or displeasure, right? And, you know, the, when you're looking at buying a solution, uh, it's risky in that it may not work. And you don't want to be the person that vouches for a solution and then find out, you know, two or three months later that it can't deliver on the promises that were made. And that could mean your job, right? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. 
again, consumers want to avoid as much risk as possible when it comes to making these decisions about which SaaS solution to buy. Uh, and then lastly, number five, rounding it out. We are living in a very on-demand culture. Again, thanks to your cell phone, uh, at the touch of a button, you can get a movie, uh, books, music, instantaneously downloaded to your phone. Uh, you can have via Amazon products delivered to your home, furniture, dog food, uh, even lunch via various apps. So again, mm -hmm. what that has done is that is uh, conditioned us now to expect to get the things we want almost immediately. And it's a subconscious conditioning that, again, affects all our experiences, even when it's unrealistic to expect something immediately. Subconsciously, you're sort of expecting it. And when you don't get it, it's frustrating. So those five things together really create a very challenging uh, uphill battle for organizations. Say they're trying to sell to consumers with these five uh, behavioral traits. Yeah, I think, you know, one that I'd love to kind of add on, and, and it really goes with on-demand culture is, I think, you know, as consumers, we have a lot of companies that we work with, like Amazon, who are really good at anticipating things that we would like. And and they're doing it in a very automated way. There's a lot of um, machine learning, I think, that goes behind that. And so not only are we expecting things to be delivered on demand, but mm -hmm. we're expecting to be presented with things proactively that we might be interested in. And so it's like they've really gone almost a step further on the consumer side of things right. so that we expect to have our, our needs anticipated as well yes. as met. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's a really interesting space. Right. So what you described regarding what Amazon's doing uh, is really, again, uh, based on the information they're collecting about your behavior when you're shopping. Uh, they're able to track, obviously, uh, the things that you look at, how long you look at them for, what do you end up ultimately buying versus what you don't? And based on all that intelligence, then they are able to actually suggest products yeah. uh, that you might like. So again, think about that, how pleasant of an experience that is for you as a consumer, because you really feel like Amazon's paying attention. So again, that has conditioned us as consumers that when we interact with the SaaS solution provider, even though it's subconscious, we expect, again, that interaction to be seamless uh, and painless in that way where the solution provider, the sales rep, whoever it is you're talking to, is adding value by, again, educating you, creating awareness around something that you don't already have or even think that you need, but uh, you could actually benefit from. So we've been talking about this on-demand culture. I think we all see that in the consumer space. How do you see that expectation moving over into a business-to-business -business environment? That's a great question. And, and I think it's important because there really is no difference whether you're in the B2B space or B2C, because the reality is in both cases, you are still dealing with humans. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's a consumer. And again, uh, these consumers, when they go home from work and they're going online and they're buying products, again, via their phone or their laptop, again, the conditioning uh, is being sort of embedded in their brains. So subconsciously, even though it's unrealistic to think you could uh, purchase and deliver on a SaaS solution immediately, subconsciously, that's what they expect. 
Uh, and also that buying experience, that even though it can't realistically be delivered instantaneously or in a short amount of time, they still want the experience uh, to feel just as painless or seamless. And that's something that I think that organizations can do despite having complex solutions that take time to deploy and deliver value on. Yeah, I see the beginnings of this in my own business. I you know, I probably have 10 different technology solutions that I've purchased to, you know, run my company and you know, of those solutions, not a single one of those have I ever engaged with a person on the other end to actually help me deploy mm-hmm. it. I've just, you know, read through their materials and I've purchased it very quickly online or in some cases on my phone and, you know, gone forward. And, you know, I realize I'm, I, you know, I'm running a small boutique consultancy um, and it's different than if you were running Microsoft and buying something for thousands of people. But I, I think that, you know, that experience that I've had with the solutions I've bought for my business um, has been closer to what we're all moving toward um, right. it, it kind of seamless um, experience where you have access to people, but maybe only when you want it and not when they want to sell you something. So, um, and that honestly kind of leads me into my next question, which is that one of the major changes I see coming out of this shift in, in the buyer demographics is that the buying experience is going to shift as well. And, the way that sales teams need to approach customers will change along with this. So I I was curious how you think the sales process will evolve and how will that impact customer success teams? Right. So uh, you you, you hit the nail right on the head when you talk about the buying experience. And in fact, again, uh, that same research that CEB did showed that about 57% of the time, uh, it is in fact the buying experience is what drives consumers' buying decision and then their loyalty beyond the initial sale. And and what happens in that buying experience? It's basically, in short, does the solution provider tell me something I don't already know? And by doing so, it then creates value versus, uh, again, that they say something that I already knew because I found that information online prior to engaging with them. So remember how I mentioned earlier... Mm -hmm that consumers on average are 57% of the way along the buying cycle before they engage with a vendor. So when they finally do engage with the vendor, what's that experience like? Does the vendor say something they already know? That's not value added. That's frustrating. Uh, Customer will not enjoy the experience and probably will not buy versus when they do engage, if that person is a knowledgeable resource, knows their product and knows the consumer better than they know themselves, that will enable them, again, to have a value-added conversation. So I think, again, we organizations need to arm their uh, customer-facing teams with that knowledge. And oftentimes, I find that's not the case. Yeah, I, I kind of think that, not immediately, but as we go down the road, the lines between sales and customer success will start to blur because it really consumers are going to be looking for a more holistic experience that, you know, starts as they have questions about the solution they're buying um, and they want that value add and is going to continue through the life cycle of that customer after they purchase. And so I think, you know, everyone needs to add value and everyone needs to be working with the customer to help them achieve the outcomes they wanted, uh, you know, from the purchase. And so that's going to start to make these two teams need to come together 
and I, I think that's going to create some interesting team structures as we go forward. Yep, you're absolutely right. And oftentimes, unfortunately, I find that uh, sales and customer success aren't working well together, unfortunately. And a lot of that is driven by compensation plans, right? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. So I think as of like uh, right now, obviously, again, customer success uh, should make an effort both uh, to work and partner with sales again, to create that optimal experience for consumers. So again, it's, it's quite seamless and painless. And I think you know, what the future will bring, again, is more of a convergence of those two teams to create uh, more like trusted advisors or consultants as opposed to sales rep, again, that are then able to have those value-added conversations, again, focusing on what would benefit the customer rather than what would benefit themselves. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the interview in a minute. Today, I want to share some information about the customer success workshops we offer at the Success League. Each of the classes we teach as a part of our CSM training program is also offered in a two to three hour expanded workshop format. These on-site sessions are designed to provide a rich learning experience for customer success teams and include group discussions, team exercises, and tools that team members can put to use right away. Some of the recent topics we have been addressing through these workshops are engaging executives, uncovering opportunities, building persuasion and negotiation skills, and managing time. If you have a customer success team event coming up, consider adding one of our half or full day workshops to build your group's skills and drive teamwork. I also want to mention a terrific resource from Strike Deck called The Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. This is a 200-page ebook you can download from Amazon, and it includes fantastic tips, articles, and exercises to grow your career in customer success. CSMs will find information that helps them get started in the field, and managers will gain tools they can implement to help build the customer success function within their organization. For more information about either the workshops or the ebook, you can visit thesuccessleague.io or strikeduck.com. And now back to our interview. So Antoine, in, in what other ways do you think customer success teams will need to evolve to serve customers in the future? Well, I think, uh, again, the willingness to sort of play ball together as opposed to approaching the customer experience as two separate teams. Uh, I've interacted with a lot of customer success people uh, that are very sort of scared of being perceived as a sales rep. Uh, they feel it would be a betrayal of the customer's trust. And, you know, ideally, you know, you find individuals, again, that can be willing to partner with sales and not, uh, you know, sort of do anything that's outside of their normal character. So what I help them focus on, you know, through coaching and mentorship is like, you know, be a willing participant, uh, just have these value-added conversations, and guess what? Uh, you will be able to not just renew and grow accounts, but it'll happen organically. The customer won't feel like they're being sold. Uh, again, it'll feel very natural. Uh, will there still be sort of quote-unquote selling that'll happen? Absolutely. And then you can leverage your sales account executive counterpart for those types of conversations if you're not comfortable with doing it yourself. But the idea is that you win as a team, you have much better chance of success at meeting today's consumers 
uh, buying needs if you work collaboratively versus exclusively. I agree. And I think, you know, I hate it when I see CSMs shying away from conversations about solutions that would really benefit the customer, because I, I think that even if, if you are a CSM and you're actually doing the selling or closing of those those opportunities, you're you're not doing something that's going to erode trust. If what you're doing is really looking at a customer's business and you're helping them think about ways to do things better, ways that help them achieve their goals and outcomes. If, if you're doing that and you're taking that kind of a business approach to thinking about a customer's needs, and then you're helping them meet those needs with your solution, you're actually helping that customer and helping that customer enhances your position as a trusted advisor. So it, it kind of bothers me when CSMs think about it that way. I think that unfortunately that comes from kind of seeing people sell things that they shouldn't have been selling and, you know, maybe having some experiences with salespeople who weren't super professional or ethical. <laughs> and, and that has kind of tainted the idea of sales, but you know, sales isn't a bad word. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I like your idea of having those teams work really well together mm-hmm. and to, you know, both focus on the things that they're very good at, but look at, look at expanding customers as a good thing for both parties. It's not just your company gaining from expanding customers. It's your customer gaining from a solution that's going to help them solve business problems too. That's right. And you remind me of a good point I wanted to make. Um, what I mentioned to customer success um, practitioners or anyone that's sort of hesitant about, you know, growing accounts, you know, it's important to keep in mind that growth is a leading indicator of renewals, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that if somebody's using, that's great. And if they're using so much that they're actually willing to buy more of what you're selling, uh, that's a great indicator of their likelihood to renew. So when you connect those dots, sometimes it's enough to get even the most hesitant customer success person thinking about how to drive growth again, while staying true to their values. Right. Yeah. That's important, I think. And, and also staying true to their skill sets too. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the profile of a CSM is going to change as these um, as more and more of, of these changes that you're describing come online. Are there new skills that you think CSMs should consider picking up to ensure that they're going to be well prepared for the future? Absolutely. So again, if we're continuing along the lines of thinking about you know this hybrid individual, someone that's comfortable with both selling and sort of driving customer success. It's a rare type of individual. It's hard to find somebody that can do both. Mm -hmm. In my experience, I have interviewed and hired hundreds of people, and I've narrowed it down to three specific disciplines uh, that I've seen uh, people be most successful uh, in in this type of role. So number one, if they've studied uh, communications, uh, again, uh, very important in helping ensure that their written and verbal communication is, is crisp and clear and effective. Uh, number two, uh, those individuals that studied marketing uh, in college, maybe even held roles in, uh, on marketing teams already. Again, I just find them to be very sort of outgoing, extroverted, and comfortable, whether it be in person or on the phone. And then third, and here's the one that I think is, is kind of new, uh, is psychology majors. Uh, I love psychology majors because uh, obviously in studying 
the working of the brain and the human decision-making process, having a fundamental understanding of what drives someone to decide on product A versus product B really gives you an advantage at then being able to speak to consumers in a way that um, uh, puts their interests first instead of yours. Uh, so I find that these individuals have a higher sort of emotional intelligence, again, to have that their needs uh, set aside and put the customer's needs first. Because the good news is if you do that, uh, you can still get what you want by focusing on what the customer wants. So those are the three areas that I really love, especially psychology majors. I would not have thought of psychology majors. I think you're going to employ a lot of people that um, might have a hard time finding a job in their field. So that's great. We're we're creating jobs for psychology majors, everybody. Um, <laughs> I think that, no, that's true. I, that actually was one of my favorite classes in my MBA program was consumer psychology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really thinking about, you know, how, how do people make um, buying decisions? How can you create a great buying experience for people and how does your brand relate to all of that? I thought that was a really fascinating um, subject. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's great though that you called that out because I don't think we often think about that. You know, most, most people would, you know, assume communication and marketing would be good, but you know, wouldn't have thought of psychology. So tell me how will the tools we use need to change in order to adapt to the future you're describing? Do you see customer success vendors moving in that direction or do you feel like there's a gap right now? I definitely think there's a gap. So again, if if we think about the belief that there will have to be a convergence of sales and customer success, again, as to into one sort of hybrid individual or one hybrid team, uh, we'll need tools. Uh, to service those hybrids. At the moment, you know, when you think about sales, immediately Salesforce comes to mind. That's their tool primarily. You know, when you think about customer success uh, departments, you think about Gainsight, Tango, et cetera, StrikeDeck, of course. Uh, And again, what uh, these solution providers will have to do, again, if they're going to match the needs of these new teams is create, again, products that would service uh, someone interested in both of those things. So who knows? Maybe uh, there's an acquisition down the road, uh, <laughs> but uh, definitely see one tool for both as opposed to uh, two separate tools. Yeah. So in addition to, um, I think the need for tools that blend, you know, sales and customer success and possibly even marketing together. I think the other thing that um, I've been seeing is is a need for more data about our customers so that we can start doing what I was talking about earlier in, in terms of anticipating customer need. The only way to really do that is to have data on what customers have been doing and cu- what customers um, might be interested in and where they might need help and support and when. And so I think the more that solutions can start to really evolve in that area, um, the more useful it's going to be, the more we'll be able to automate and then really utilize the human Mm -hmm. element of customer success in a very strategic 
and targeted way. Now I feel like, you know, companies sometimes use customer success to sort of um, be duct tape for various gaps in their product uh, and in their information that they have. And I think as we move toward having a seamless buying experience, there needs to be that anticipation of need. And that takes data. It takes machine learning, artificial intelligence. And as all of that stuff starts to come online, I think there's going to be some really interesting solutions out there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. So Antoine, can you share a little about how you're preparing your team for these changes? What would you recommend that CS leaders do to make sure that they're ready for the future? Well, in a word, it boils down to enablement. Right? And this is an area where I find many, many organizations fail and that they do not uh, provide the tools and the training for whether you're a sales rep or a customer success uh, practitioner to, again, meet the buyer's needs of today. So uh, oftentimes I find you know, uh, organizations will hire with someone, give them a laptop and expect them to figure it out. And then when they fail, you know, they blame the individual when, in fact, it's the organization that didn't do enough to enable uh, their teams. So uh, when I talk about enablement, again, uh, the training that they need to have those value-added conversations, the training to know the customer better than they know themselves. And specifically, I'm talking about uh, product training, right? Not so much uh, how to do things uh, within the tool, but again, if you're a fan of Simon Sinek, you start with why. Uh, how does this uh, help the consumer? How does this make their lives better? Again, you need to know their pain points in order to be able to uh, have that conversation. So it's uh -huh. also uh, customer training, customer expertise. So again, persona, uh, vertical, and use case. Again, I mentioned a VP of sales has very different interests than a VP of marketing or a VP of uh, product, for example. One size doesn't fit all. If you try to speak to them uh, with the same story, it won't resonate. Versus, again, if you know each persona, you can then draft a uh, message that's very specifically tailored to their needs, which again, creates value. You're, you're better able to tell them something they don't already know. Uh, so again, it's up to organizations to arm their people, not just with the right tools, but with the training to have these value-added conversations. And it's an ongoing process. Obviously, when they come in the door, uh, your product's at a certain state and the product will evolve. So there's continued training that needs to happen. Uh, and again, an area I find most organizations don't do enough in. So I know we've been talking about long-term trends um, this whole interview, but I want to ask you one more trend question before we wrap up. This is something we ask all of our guests. What do you see as the biggest trend in our field right now? So this would be a near-term trend, and, and why? Right. So uh, I've always thought about the word customer success manager and you know what that means. And based on human behavior, we find that you know, most people don't like to be managed. So I came up with the notion of renaming customer success managers as customer success coaches and that they coach customers how do you extract the most value out of the solution. And I think that a simple word change like that uh, can have a tremendous impact on how consumers react to uh, a phone call or an email from a customer success coach, again, who clearly just by their name is defining their purpose. Uh, again, these solutions are extremely complex. The uh, value isn't always obvious. And for a consumer, 
it's reassuring to know that you have a resource that, again, is going to proactively reach out to you and educate you, create awareness uh, about additional value. So uh, it's one of the few things that I take credit for, sort of coining the <laughs> phrase. I like you know, it. Everything else, yeah, everything else that I've shared, I, I freely admit I've heard somewhere else or read about somewhere else, and I just share it with my unique perspective. But this customer success coach is something that I've been using now for the last four years, and I can say that customers as well as customer success practitioners really enjoy it because it's taking, again, the relationship to a different level, trying to go beyond the typical customer vendor relationship and form more of a partnership. So something I just wanted to throw out there and share with the world. And if anybody wants to take and run with it, then by all means, you have my blessing. Well, Antoine, thanks for joining me on the show today to talk about the future. I think you have some very interesting ideas about where the field of customer success is going. And I know our audience appreciates all of your practical tips on how to prepare, especially the customer success coach tip. I think that's wonderful. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been a great experience. I would say if uh, you want to learn more about Teamable, uh, check out teamable.com. If you want to contact me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My handle is AntoineV1479. Awesome. Thank you. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time. <laughs>